Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. morning it's friday all right i feel like my humanity really um maybe i didn't get up early enough today maybe i didn't go to bed early enough last night i don't know i feel like my humanity is really showing this morning and so uh pray for me um i i miss speaking words and i uh, yeah and i'm not you didn't asking eat your wheaties is the problem you didn't eat your wheaties I have no idea. Paul, I have no excuse. I do finally have the clock up in the corner of my computer screen, which is supposed to be there the whole time. So uh, I'm much more on track now, I promise. Um, Trending on Twitter right now is the word hyphen. Those of you who are grammarians, uh, this is your day, apparently, on Twitter. So um, the word hyphen, I'm not even going to tell you why it's trending. Um, Okay, so news that you are not going to hear about today, but news that I feel like everybody needs. This is really quite serious. You know, I think that sometimes when our news headlines and particularly those who are commentating on the news, when we're so captivated by one story, we forget that, like, right, the world is still spinning on its axis. And um, and in some places, things are spinning really far out of control. And there's lots of things going on at a deeply personal level. Um, and that's really where you and I as Christians can engage today. There are there are things uh, that we have little influence over that are happening right now in Washington, D.C. or in other places but we can have influence there, right? I've I've already talked uh, about reaching out to your member of Congress while they're home the next couple of weeks. But there are things uh, on a deeply personal level happening in the lives of our neighbors uh, and members of our own families and our coworkers where we can really have dramatic influence today. And that's where I want you to um, I want you to place your focus in the next hour or so on some individual who you know needs encouragement. Somebody in your life needs encouragement, and you know it. Um, You know that they are discouraged about something, that they are afraid, that they are um, in some level of personal or relational or financial distress, and they need to be encouraged. And you know who they are. Um, We've talked this week about the way the Holy Spirit works to sort of nudge us toward prayer Whoever it is that the Lord just brought to mind, whoever that is that you know is discouraged and in need of encouragement today, whoever that person is who the Lord just brought to your mind, that's your mission field today. As a Christian, that's the person that in the next hour, in the next hour, you are going to reach out to them. You're going to send them a text. You're going to give them a call. Uh, When you pass their desk at the office, you're going to stop. You're going to look them in the eye. You're going to encourage them. So um, that's that's your mission assignment in the next hour. Some of you are saying, well, that means I'm going to have to not listen to the show. Um, you know what? That's OK. You can always come back and listen to the show via the podcast. Paul very dutifully posts it within a couple of hours uh, of uh, when we're off air. A couple hours later, Paul then posts the audio at MyFaithRadio.com, and you can always go back and hear it later. So your mission assignment in the next hour, whoever the Lord just brought to mind when I said, you know, somebody who needs encouragement. 
you know somebody who needs encouragement. It doesn't matter where in the world they live. I don't care if they're asleep because they're halfway around the world right now. Um, You send them a text. You send them an email. You give them a call. If you are in physical proximity to them, you stop, you look them in the eye, and you give them a word of encouragement. Why? Because the suicide rate in the United States continues to climb. And the number one reason is people don't think anybody else cares. So tell people you care about them today. Tell them you see them and tell them you are with them in whatever it is uh, that they're walking through in this life. Okay, next up, Adam Holtz from Plugged In. He and I are going to talk about all things entertainment, even things we don't find entertaining. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Returning to talk with us again about all things cultural, Adam Holtz from Plugged In. Welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. All right, so uh, we have a lot of soil to till today. So I hope you're ready because we're going to we're going to move we're going to move fast. Let's, we're going to move fast. So, let's till. Um, Turn okay, it up. so I'm going to start with um, uh, the one thing that you're prepared to talk about, <clears throat> which is abominable, right? Because right? you do movie reviews at PluggedIn.com, yes. and so that's where we're starting. Yep. I I yes. will admit to you that having seen the previews, I want to go see Abominable. I hope you're not yeah. going to tell me that I can't. No, I have like ten gallons of cold water ready to dump on you. No, I don't. <laughs> uh, I was I was pleasantly surprised not only that there weren't any massive issues or massive agendas. There are a few small things we've got to deal with, but it, there's a level of depth to this movie that is unusual or. At the very least, not expected. And for those of your listeners who don't know what Abominable is, uh, this is not an awful movie. This is a delightful movie about the Abominable Snowman, about the Yeti. And this, uh, how shall we say, adolescent Yeti gets uh, captured by a rich, eccentric, evil billionaire in Shanghai, China. But said Yeti manages to escape. And he finds a young girl named Yi who uh, is a teenager and has just lost her father. And Yi is really struggling to process her grief. And through a, you know sign language and the, the magic of animated movies, Yi figures out that the Abominable Snowman is from Mount Everest and that he wants to return there. And so she and two of her friends end up trying to get him there while being pursued by said or aforementioned billionaire and all of his lackeys and minions and hench people. Um, that's fun to say all those words. Who the hench one. people? Hench people. And it's not henchmen anymore. It's, it's hench No, I know. The hench people. I feel like that's a good <laughs> title for something. The hench people. Right. My new band, probably. Um, so it's wonderful. I thought it actually was a, a thoroughly delightful movie. Um, a couple of scenes are just maybe a tiny bit on the intense side for really, really, really young or really, really, really sensitive viewers. But but even those, I think, are pretty mild. Uh, there's one scene with a giant Buddha. This whole movie takes place in China as they travel from Shanghai to Mount Everest. But it's not really about Buddhism. It's just a big Buddha statue. Uh, more to the point, the Yeti is magical and does all sorts of magic things. But again, it's not like it's a cult. It's just, it's animated movie magic. And, um, so I, okay. I quite liked it. And, and I liked, um, I liked the, the movie's sort of quiet focus on this young girl trying to process her grief. That's where the deeper stuff came in. So 
it's kind of a delightful movie. All right. So, see, I like that. Okay, there's lots of conversation at my house about um, about the Godzilla movie, which I know is not in theaters anymore, right? But yeah. is it, like, newly out in ways that people are now watching it who didn't see it in theaters? And is that why people at my house are talking about it? Yeah, that's why they're talking about it. Okay. It, well, they don't it like it. I'm like... just going ahead and telling you that well, uh, I got two generations of people talking about it, and not, they don't like it. Here's the thing. It's a Godzilla movie. Let's um So why are they watching it, right? This would be the point. Well, no, 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 no. That's actually totally wrong, Carmen. Um <laughs> it's a Godzilla movie in the best sense of the word that really dumb stuff happens in Godzilla movies, right? You don't watch a Godzilla movie. I don't movie. know. I've never seen a Godzilla movie. So I mean I'm familiar oh, with this whole, you know. Well, but here's their here's their concern because you know, I'm raising worldview people. So my my people right, are right. saying they're talking about the these these uh you know, Titans being the first gods. They don't like that. Yeah. They don't like right. that there's, you know, like human genocide is actually right. almost promoted in this film. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I'm just sharing with you that I'm raising worldview people who just don't like the Godzilla movie. Sure. And I, I, yeah. So. Absolutely. Okay. And hey, let's talk about. There and... Yeah. <laughs> I know. They got them. I think they got, I think they got their talking points from you guys. Like you can go to PluggedIn.com yes, and you can check out movie, right. movie reviews about things that are out now on the big screen, but also those things that are now out on the small screen and the and the yes. screens that your kids are actually using and where they are downloading and digesting this material. So one of the things, Adam, that um, I'd never heard of, I'd never heard of Fleabag. Nobody in my yeah. family had ever heard of Fleabag, and yet it won two Emmys on uh, over the weekend. And so my sister, who um, you know is is old enough to know the difference between that which is good and that which is bad, she was horrified. She's like, "Well, you know, it won these two Emmys, so we thought we'd sit down and watch it. It's on Amazon Prime, which means it doesn't have any restrictions right. whatsoever." And, right. and she's like, "Oh my goodness!" In the first eleven minutes of the very first one, I, I'm 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 horrified. I am horrified by the content streaming over this service. So I'm certainly yeah. not advocating that people watch Fleabag, but when we come oh. back. I want to ask you a question about why we why we reward this kind of really really sick um, stuff uh, in terms of in terms of what the cultural the culture seems to perceive as good entertainment. All right, so that conversation is up next with Adam Holtz from Plugged In. We'll be right back. All right, continuing my conversation with Adam Holtz from Plugged In. You can check out all kinds of great stuff at PluggedIn.com. They deal with all kinds of cultural issues as well as uh, that which is happening on the big and the small screen. So Fleabag, I don't even really want to talk about the the content of it because it's so horrific. Let's just say that it is a person processing through their grief in ways that are really not helpful um, and doing so... um, really victimizing a lot of other people in the process. Um, why why in our culture do we reward, literally with awards, this kind yeah. of negative, gross stuff? Well, my first answer is I don't know for sure. My second answer is that we love to push the boundaries. And I think the boundary pushing with, you know, this kind of television show really started – Back with Breaking Bad, with The Sopranos, that HBO pioneered this sort of new understanding of uh, of television, that television could be this no-holds-barred kind of medium, and that we could have sex and violence and drugs and brokenness galore, and really 
almost ever since they started it, that's the only kind of show that uh, has been rewarded. I mean, there I'm making a generalization, but you know, Game of Thrones just won a whole bunch more Emmys. It's the most decorated Emmy winning Emmy winning show. That's hard to say in history, uh, and it's got more content than you can shake a stick at. I think it speaks to two things. I think it speaks to how desensitized we are as a culture that you have to do more and more extreme things to get anybody's attention and quiet, thoughtful things get lost in the mix. And I think that we intrinsically know that we are broken and even a really twisted depiction of brokenness somehow resonates with us as being authentic or true or gritty, you know, the kind of adjectives that pop up in reviews of shows like these. Mm. And so I do think that what there is a longing for somebody to tell the truth. And so there is a, a kind of twisted truth telling about our brokenness, but it's so repulsive to us as Christians, not only because of the content, but because there's no redemption. Uh, and so exactly all right. your all you're left with is the bad news. And so in some ways, the shows that get rewarded the most are the ones that do the best job of telling the bad news. And and we say, these shows are true. These shows are authentic. You know, Breaking Bad, it had bad in the title and breaking in it. I mean, that's probably the best example. It's This is a show about deep brokenness. Um, and so as Christians, I think that we can say, yeah, you know, there is brokenness in the world. But what's the what's the good news? What is the antidote? What is the transcendent alternative to uh, to this stuff? And and besides that, just asking the question: When you sit and watch a half an hour or an hour of sex and violence and profanity and perversion, um, how do you feel when you're done watching it? You know, you what, feel dirty. What, yeah, I mean, what you, does it right? do to your soul? You know. Yeah. Yeah, don't. So, so let's just go ahead and put the big warning signs up. Um, don't don't watch stuff that's described as gritty. Just don't just like right. right? I mean, we don't need to allow that into right. our into our hearts and into our minds. Okay, um, like let's dark, talk about something. Dark is another one. <laughs> if it's oh, dark, yes, if it's dark, it. if it's described as dark, or dystopian, or gritty, these are these are we're not right. watching these. Okay, maybe no. that would be a helpful blog. Do not watch programming that includes these descriptive terms because that would actually like, like help. That would actually help people have some sort of filter and guide to use. Like, right? Okay. Yes. So, um, okay. Princess Bride. Now, on the on the Princess flip side, um, people like right. People are going to say that is an old movie, but it is a right. good movie. And why are it we is. talking about Princess Bride today? Well, because Norman Lear, who's now a hundred, got interviewed by Variety, and Norman <laughs> Lear was the. Um, the director, I believe, mm -hmm. um, of Princess Bride, he sort of mentioned in passing that, you know, important people are talking about remaking it. And the Internet just went completely crazy. It was like they threw 10,000 gallons of chum in shark infested waters. And I don't know anybody who came out and said, you know, that's a really great idea. Let's take this beloved movie. And, and in red, you know, the conversation since then has become this is the perfect movie. This movie works on every level. This movie doesn't take any missteps. This movie has something for everyone. And, you know, I think I completely agree with that. It, it's inconceivable that anybody <laughs> would want to remake this movie because I do not think they know what the word remake actually means. So um, there you go. My little my little Easter that. eggs for the okay. uh, Princess Bride fans. Easter eggs for the Princess Bride fans. 
Okay, um, the Army, the U.S. Army is warning um, of the threat of mass shootings at screenings of The Joker. Um, the Joker yes. is a movie that actually comes out like a week from today, I think. Um, that's right. And uh, so tell us what's going on here, because this this is scary. Yeah, and that's pretty much the story. Uh, I mean, there are more details, but the Army's intelligence agencies monitor this stuff. And there's a thing called the dark web that is sort of like a shadow web that uh, is not searchable and, and pretty much nothing good happens on the dark web. See previous statement about dark. You don't need to go there. Uh, but there are people, apparently there are some credible conversations happening about targeting uh, unnamed movie theaters. Uh, and I, I hope that if they have any more um, specific intel than that, that they're doing something about it. But again, it gets at this idea that we've got this this iconic, twisted, psychotic uh, character, and there are people out there who are looking forward to exploiting a really violent and grim story in the real world. And you know, we often hear people say that movies don't actually cause violence, or we shouldn't be thinking about entertainment's effects on the real world. And in fact. A number of people related to the Joker have come out and said that this week. But we know it's just a straight-up lie. Um, and it may be that they really believe that, but it's not true. What we watch does influence what we believe, how we behave, what we value. And and here we have people who have identified with the Joker, heaven help us. And apparently there are threats of violence. And frankly, there are lots of good reasons probably to take a pass on this one, but you can add that one to the list. Okay, now I want to talk uh, here just in the last couple of minutes that we have about um, emojis because apparently I cannot use the OK hand sign oh, or yeah. the OK emoji, and now I can't use the emoji of the sun with the sunglasses um, because they're racist? Right. I mean, I, oh, I, I guess i got to tell you, you know, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm, I'm not jiving side, with this. Right? Yeah. I mean, again, there is this thing happening in the culture where things we've done for a long time are being reinterpreted as either being subtly racist or, you know, blatantly racist. Um, you know, we've also got phrases in our culture that we've used for a long time, like something is black and white. You're not supposed to say that anymore. That's politically incorrect. You're not supposed to talk about dark horses because that. So here's the thing. That, so you're not, and, and you're not supposed to say, that. and you're not supposed to say things like bullet points. And yet, in right. and yet, if you ask um, anybody uh, on one particular side of the aisle what they heard in uh, or read in the transcript of the president's comments, they're going to use the term smoking gun. So if we're not yeah. allowed to use bullets and we're not allowed to refer to any anything that, that might be related to a weapon, why is it okay for them to talk about a smoking gun? No, it's exactly right. It's yeah. not it, consistent. It's the, and, yeah. and I also think that we need to talk about context here. Uh, if you flash an okay sign with your hands to somebody in Minneapolis who is a friend – they are not going to mistake you for doing something racist. I mean, it's there's a kind of hysteria here. And uh, even if we as a culture decide that the OK symbol really is bad, it's going to take some time for that to filter down. Uh, but that's that's the culture we're looking living in right now, one in which, you know, everything is being interpreted in the worst possible way. And I think that speaks to just the fragmentation of our culture right now and, and the partisanship and the division and the rancor uh, is just, oh, 
normal, regular, unproblematic things are now being reinterpreted in ways that are, frankly, totally ridiculous. Okay, so if you just feel uh, that Adam and I microaggressed on you, you can let me know. Uh, I'm Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. Go ahead and send me an email if you feel uh, microaggression related to our last conversation. And by the way, I'm just going to reclaim the rainbow right here in the midst of this conversation as well. Adam Holtz from Plugged In. Thanks so much, my friend. You guys can check it all out at PluggedIn.com. we got to take a break. For Breakpoint, we'll be right back. All right, so I've gotten uh, questions from several of you uh, on our text line, which is 877-933-2484, to clarify about the OK sign. Um, Apparently, the OK sign that you you make with your hand by putting your uh, thumb and your forefinger together and then uh, and then uh, holding up the other three digits of your uh, uh, your other three phalanges. Uh, um, apparently, that sign is used by white supremacists. And so because it is used by white supremacists, none of the rest of us uh, are going to be allowed to use it otherwise, lest we be considered white supremacists. So it, it's one of those opportunities, in my view, um, to reclaim something and to be sure that we know what we're doing and why we're doing it and not allow something to become so captive by uh, one particular group in the culture, in this case, white supremacists, that the rest of us can't have access to it anymore. Um, It's a little bit like the rainbow. I do not feel like just because one group of people has taken that uh, image on as their own, that the rest of us therefore cannot use it to mean what it has always meant by God's own design and declaration in the scriptures. So there you go. That would be my two cents on that. All right. I got to I got to move here. Next up, Mark Sayers, author of Reappearing Church. Mark comes to us from Australia, so this is a pre-recorded conversation um, about his new book, Reappearing Church. If you think secularism is a threat to the church, Mark says you're wrong. Secularism, rising secularism, is actually an opportunity. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We're witnessing a generation of teens who have become addicted to their personal rights. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. More and more kids today believe they're entitled to anything and everything. They want more, demand more, and expect more than any other generation. So how do you keep your teen from thinking he rules the world? First, you need to quit feeding his worldview. Stop doing everything for your teen. Quit jumping every time she says frog. And instead, tell her it's time to start doing things for herself. Let him wash his own laundry for a change or cook a meal for the whole family. Your teen may roll his eyes. Your daughter may throw a fit. But if you stick to your guns, your child will slowly understand the universe does not spin under their control. Learn how to get your teen back on track. Get instant access to Mark's free parenting course online at freeparentingcourse.com. Thrilled to be joined today uh, by Mark Sayers. You you recognize his name. Uh, you have probably read something that he has written uh, in the past. He's a cultural commentator. He's a writer. He's a speaker. Highly sought after for his unique perspective and insights uh, into faith in this contemporary moment in which we live. He's written a number of books that speak directly uh, to, well, our cultural moment. Uh, he's the author of Reappearing Church, Disappearing Church, Strange Days, the Road Trip That Changed the World, and Facing Leviathan. He's also the senior leader of Red Church in Melbourne, Australia, co-host of the popular podcast, This Cultural Moment. Mark Sayers, welcome to 
Mornings with Carmen. Wonderful to be here. So it is a delight. It's a delight to have you. Reappearing Church, the hope for renewal uh, in the rise of our post-Christian culture. Um, is this a time for hope? And if so, why? Why is this not a time for, you know, despair? I think uh, it's easy to be apprehensive at a moment like this and to look at a lot of the cultural trends and to feel like the church is facing this increasing defeat. But I began to read church history. And if you read church history, you'll notice that there's certain times where there's significant cultural upheaval, where the world is connected through forms of globalization where technology comes and disrupts. And if you look at history, they're actually the moments when the church is not defeated. Actually, God begins a new thing, and there's this opportunity for him again to set a fire amongst his people to actually go out and spread the gospel. So when you look at this moment historically, it begins to look like one of those moments where God will do something new again. So fire is one of those images where, you know, you think, well, fire is nice when it is contained in an area that's under control and it's providing warmth and heat. Fire is also kind of this like, you know, frightening reality when it's all consuming and it might be spreading in a wild way. But when we talk about revival and renewal, we are really are talking about um, that which is not of God being burned off and consumed in order that God might revive us in a way that, you know, draws people unto him. Is that when you... When you think about what needs to happen in order for real revival and renewal to take place, is is that a is that an image that, um, gosh, that we can use? Definitely, I I think when when God comes in in power, there's there's his 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 judgment comes to that which is opposed to God, but that that presence of God will be stinging to those who want to set up their own projects apart from Him. But for those who seek God, who are humble, it actually becomes a healing balm. And so there's often moments like this when we look out and see things in the cold which, which need to change, and indeed they do. But what's really interesting about renewals, revivals, awakenings is that also begins inside of us. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that revivals begin when men and women come to the end of themselves. So, you know, I began to feel, you know, really compelled by God to ask, what are the things in my life that I need to change? Renewal always begins with individuals and spreads out into revivals, which are more corporate. So my husband and I talk about the need for uh, the church to be restored to its rightful place in the life of every believer and for the word to be restored to its rightful place in the life of the church you know, well before the culture is is ever sort of a place where uh, we can then expect to see, you know, reformation or renewal. When you talk about the patterns that need to be interrupted in order for renewal to happen, talk with us about that, because um, I think that most of us are, you know, we, we start walking down paths that become well-worn, and those paths then become ruts, and then we find that, that we're just going wherever they lead. But in our culture, those are not leading in the direction of Christ. Mm. Yeah, I think I think every sort of renewal has these commonalities that people, you know, elevate the name of Jesus again. God comes with power. People turn against Him in devotion. People become Christians. Uh, cultures changed. So there's these unique, so these uh, commonalities that happen across renewals. But then there's also unique, almost responses to what's happening in the culture at that time. And I think particularly. You know, I just have this sense that what God is doing, what he's going to do is bring our focus back to him. Our culture is unique in that it has an incredible ability to hijack our attention. Mm. Uh, Social media technology is really, you know, I began to think, like, what what is the enemy's strategy? It's almost so mundane. It seems boring, but incredibly effective, where just we have so much 
just looking at screens, you know, distracted by silly little things. That actually, that's the sort of raw materials that people in the past would pray for God to move again. So I believe that in this sort of renewal that God is about to do, what He's doing is actually a turning again to Him, and actually this disrupting of the patterns which are stealing our attention. I think worship is attention directed at God. So in the renewal, our usual patterns of operating will be disrupted and interrupted. And how have you experienced that? I mean, this is a part of your own experience. So how did God you know, interrupt some pattern in your life to sort of reclaim your attention on himself? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's two ways. Like one was just I realized how much like everyone else I, you know, would wake up and look at my phone. <laughs> um, you know, I just noticed over the years how like my sort of devotion morning became more sporadic and interrupted and sort of half present. Um, so I just began little things like putting my phone at the other end of the house. Um, so I begin, I open the word, I pray, and that sets the, the, the pattern of my day and encouraging people at my church to do that. I guess the second thing is, as a, as a minister um, and as a, you know a preacher, I, I began to realize how much that even sort of the metrics of the world, what looks like success, how many people may be listening to a social media post or you know sort of these sort of dynamics actually don't necessarily always turn to renewal, that renewals begin when people turn to God and ask what He wants to do next and align their hearts with His Word. So for me, even in my ministry schedule, I began to try and like, how do I actually spend more time praying? How do I turn to Him? How do I soak myself in Scripture? They're two key patterns which God has used to bring personal renewal for me. I'm wondering if you've read The Common Rule. Um, I, I Recently, we've had a couple of conversations on the program about this book, The Common Rule, and one of the things in it is, um, you know, is Bible before phone, like just breaking that one uh, one pattern. I, I literally just saw it. I just put that book on my Amazon wish list. I, have, I haven't read oh, it Hey, yet, we'll, we'll do you one that... better. We'll send you one. I've, I've got an extra copy. I'm going to send you one. Oh, I think you guys, you guys are talking off the same page. You're going to love it. Mark, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, I'm going to continue my conversation with Mark Sayers. We are talking about reappearing church, the, hopeful re- the hope for renewal in the rise of of our post-Christian culture. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with Mark Sayers, we are talking about his new book, Reappearing Church, The Hope for for Renewal in the Rise of Our Post-Christian Culture. Um, Mark, we've talked about the patterns that, you know, we need to break and maybe the new habits we need to begin establishing in our own lives. Talk about uh, one of the one of the unique things about this book, I think, is the the use of small groups. I mean, use is probably the wrong word. The utilization, the importance of uh, of small groups, like recognizing that this is going to start with individuals. It's going to start in small communities of people. And then, you know, by God's grace, it's going to grow with that. It's going to move from there. Talk about what what you see happening with this kind of conversation in the context of a small group of Christians. Well, I think small groups change the world. Um, just one example, um, in the 18th century, Christianity in Britain was in a really bad place. And, um, you know, even uh, you know, theology lecturers at Cambridge would be drunk as they, they delivered, you know, lectures. And there's a guy called uh, Charles Simeon who was um, an Anglican evangelical vicar who was placed at a church in Cambridge. And, you know, he looked at the institutions of his day. He felt they were, like, corrupted. They'd fallen away from the gospel. So he just began on Friday nights gathering this small group of young pastors, um, young Christian leaders, students. And out of that group, incredible things happened. Um, God began to do something new. 
Martin Luther um, spoke about the little church within the church becomes this renewing cell at different times. Um, and I see just all throughout church history, when people who have a heart for renewal get together and just pray and contend, we've got to be really careful too, not to have a spirit of sort of breakaway and judgment of others, but just like pushing into what God wants and contending and praying for it. That God uses those little cells as almost these like antibodies, these white blood cells that bring health to the entire system. So one of my real hopes for the book is that this will inspire people just to get together all across the world and begin to pray and ask for God to do something new again. Okay, those are really like powerful images, and you use the word contend. This is um, This is not... Uh, you know, this is not a tea party. This is not something that is going to be easy. There is a there is a labor of love involved in what you are talking about in terms of contending. Um, you know, un- unwrap that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think so much of church practice, and understandably, um, in the last few decades, has been really based around how do we get cultural Christians to be more passionate about the faith. But one of the things in a, in a secular moment is that cultural Christianity begins to sort of burn away. And that means there's a pivot. It's a pivot to a, a kind of person who is more devoted in their faith. In Australia, which is probably where I live, which is probably further along the post-Christian track than the U.S., there's less and less cultural Christians. Millennials coming to my church, many of them have no Christian friends left. And what I'm seeing is the kind of person that we're getting, there's a, there's a hunger there. So contending is a word which is about sort of stretching or fighting and and realizing, first of all, that only God can do it, but then he also wants us to respond and to cry out to him to move again. So I see that we're moving from a mode of sort of almost can be at times a consumer Christianity to now a contending Christianity where we're, we're crying out for God in intercession for him to again move and we're, we're wanting to partner with him in the next renewal that he wants to do. So that might lead people to think that this is going to be like only hard and there's not going to be any gifts or any blessings related to this experience. And that is just quite, quite the reverse is true. So talk a little bit about the gifts and the blessings that are like hidden, not only in the post-Christian culture, but in this experience of uh, a beginning, the, the beginnings of the embers of renewal. I think, I think one of the great, um, in almost like myths that the enemy has used at moments is that this is all just going to be hard and horrible. But the fact is, what we're seeing in post-Christian culture is a tremendous desire for meaning. Uh, people look for it in buying material things, or even politics is almost becoming like a new religion for some people. And when you push forward with a group of people for a goal, when that goal is a divine goal, there's this incredible sense of meaning and purpose. There are so many, particularly young adults, struggling for a sense of meaning. Um, and so you discover this purpose, that that that, that you're created for an, a, a reason by God. So first of all, that's wonderful. Secondly, we live in such an anxious age. There is this incredible, almost cultural anxiety now that's that's systematic. And and when you push into God in deeper ways, when you die to your flesh, when you're, you know, become more Christ-like, there's actually benefits there. You you become a person which has that peace which transcends all understanding. So this is this is not something we should be. That's going to be a, a horrible chore. This is actually something which we discover life, that abundant life that that Jesus spoke of. So you you point there to um, the anxiety that exists in our culture today. Uh, that it's you know it's kind of at a fever pitch. I mean, I think that the word epidemic is aptly uh, applied here. There seems to be this anxiety epidemic um, in, in the culture today. There also is you know just genuine, I guess, a culture of outrage. Um, and and what I see sometimes, Mark, is 
Christian leaders or people in positions of Christian leadership, you know, like playing to that. Um, talk about how that that's kind of damaging to the witness of Christ. Yeah, I think we're at, we're at outrage and overdose almost. Um, there's this element where the sad thing about social media is what experts tell us is that angry emotions, negative emotions spread more virally on social media um, at a far bigger rate and quicker rate than positive emotions. Um, but the thing you've got to realize too, if you look at say Twitter, only a small percentage of Americans are actually on Twitter. Most people still live their lives in the real world space. And in the real world space, actually peace and and someone who is 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 living in this very countercultural way of love and forgiveness that actually is viral in the real world so i think we need more and more leaders and, and just ordinary believers who show this very different way that in the midst of this seemingly crazy 21st century that actually you can live with purpose you can live with a sense of peace and that's something that absolutely cuts through at this moment i think that's going to be central to what god wants to do all right. Can we give them one social media place or one place online to find you? And we'll give them marksayers.co. Would that be fair? Yes. Yes. All right. So That's because because technically they could follow you on Twitter, but you've just outed us that not very many people are on Twitter. <laughs> <right now. laughs> yes. Hey, Mark, what That's a joy. Um, what a privilege. Let me can I ask one quick just personal question before we let you go? Yes. Okay. Do, do will there be Christmas services at your church in Melbourne on Christmas? Like, is that? I mean, here in the United States, like Christmas Eve is like a. I'm asking because my family is going to be in Melbourne over Christmas. Yes, we have Christmas Day services. Yes, Christmas Day services. I'm going to let them know. I'm going to have them track you down and find out what is happening. All right. Thank you, Mark Sayers. Um, thank you for the conversation. Thank you for the book. Thank you for fomenting revival and renewal. The book is Reappearing Church: The Hope for Renewal in the rise of our post-Christian culture. Mark, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. We'll be right back. Okay, who's your one person? Um, remember, we're, we're going to be mindful today of the one person that God brings to mind right now who we know is discouraged and needs encouragement. And we are going to be the agent of grace in that person's life today. We're going to reach out to them. Um, we're going to reach out to them with a word of hope. We're going to reach out to them um, through a text message, through email, through a phone call, uh, through a face-to-face encounter, um, whatever it is, you know right now God has literally right now brought someone to mind who you know is discouraged. And you're going to be an agent of grace in their life today, a word of hope. You're going to um, remind them that they are seen, that they are loved, that you have concern for them, that you're with them, that you're for them. It doesn't mean that you're going to solve their problem. We all know that, right? Um, But it does mean that you are going to walk with them through whatever current um, season of distress or depression or disease they currently face. So whatever, uh, whoever it is that God just brought to mind, that is your mission field today, that individual. Um, You are the agent of grace God is sending out as an ambassador of his kingdom into the life of that individual. And so be an agent of hope. So hope in the life of one other person today, um, because there are a lot of people despairing in our culture right now. The church reappears as Christians reappear in the conversation to the day and on the cultural scene with uh, the real hope of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining me today on Mornings with Carmen. You can catch the podcast later at MyFaithRadio.com and online at ReconnectWithCarmen.com. Have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.